Hey friends, uh, this is Cody um, from the That I May See podcast that you're listening to and I'm really excited about this episode that you're about to hear. Um, Me and Miriam talk about um, a few different things and uh, one of the things that we kind of hone in on more than anything is uh, stories in 2 Samuel in this book of the Bible that revolve around um, sexual abuse and uh, an abuse of women and uh, misogyny. And so the reason I tell you that is because um, there are many people who uh, have experienced those things. So I kind of wanted to just let you know that if that's something you've been a victim of, um, I just kind of wanted to give you kind of a trigger warning uh, that this is what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Uh, we talk uh, uh, briefly about uh, the Ravi Zachariah scandal as we apply scripture to it. And uh, we just want to make sure that um, none of you are surprised uh, by the content that we talk about in this episode. And, uh, and though we, we always seek to point back to the hope of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. And so, uh, so for those of you uh, who are interested, I, I hope you enjoy this episode. It is, it is uh, not the most uplifting episode. Um, if I'm being honest, um, uh, the podcast is called That I May See, which comes from Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 119, where, you know, it says, God, give me eyes that I may see wonderful things. And um, it, on the surface, it does appear as if what we talk about are wonderful things, um, but they're sobering things. And so we wanted to point these, uh, these things out in Scripture so that uh, the listeners would know that, that God's Word applies to all of life issues like this. So uh, thank you for listening. Well, if it isn't my arch nemesis. <laughs> I actually uh, <laughs> broke out my Black Panther mug to use for my tea while I talked Tad to you. <laughs> wow, you really are my arch nemesis. Yes. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> What's up? How are you doing? Uh, we're doing all right. It's uh, It's crazy weather right now in Tulsa that's what I heard there's like sheets of ice on the road and I guess it's supposed to get even colder the next few days so we literally the kids were like we're gonna take a skateboard out and skateboard on the ice and I'm like okay (laughs) sounds like a terrible idea have fun yeah so so me and Nate are watching out the window and we're just cracking up as Zion does the skateboard (laughs) on ice well, eventually he realizes uh, he can actually slide way better just in his shoes. So he just <laughs> is like would run on the ice and then just slide. Uh, it was crazy. And that's then after hilarious. like 10 minutes, they all came in and were like, it's freezing out there. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you're born on the equator. <laughs> and you gotta go play right. in an ice storm. It's like, listen, African children, your bodies were not made for this weather. No. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's what I say all the time too. I'm like, look, my I cannot take the cold. I can't do anything in the cold. Right. I can't even <laughs> exist. I worked at UPS one year in college, and and in the winter it was like the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. Like oh, I, was, I bet you were miserable. <laughs> yeah, I was like, these boxes are not that heavy, but that gum is cold. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, for anybody who's listening, um. Miriam and Cody are back. Sorry, it's kind of taken so long. It's been a crazy few weeks in both of our lives. And so, uh, mm. so yeah, we're back and we'll be in 2 Samuel yeah. um, today. And um, can't wait to hear Miriam's thoughts 
because Miriam, um, I'm, I'm sure you probably remember this, but a few years ago, um, you did a uh, you did a talk. You preached at Urban Ministry Conference mm-hmm. um, at Springs of Grace, and I'm trying to remember the title, but I think it was "Where Can the Daughters." It was Go. called "Where Can I Carry My Shame?" How the yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so good, and so um, yeah, and so we're going to be talking about some of those stories, uh, mm-hmm. Miriam. You know, this book is filled with a lot of abuse. Yeah, um, you know, uh, obviously not condoned by the Lord, but um, but it's one of the reasons I love scriptures because it tells the truth. It just kind of tells right. the unfiltered truth about how people with power often act. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about that today. Um, but, look, you know, uh, to come to start us off, Miriam, what are some what are some things that you see in Second Samuel um, that, that kind of just um, stick out to you or, mm-hmm. or that you think are wonderful or just, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the big questions that's kind of hanging over the whole book is really the question mm-hmm. of succession. So mm, who is getting right. the throne after David, right? Because right. this promise has been made to David that one of his descendants will always sit on the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, and so David has all these different sons. And there's this just big question of like, what's going to happen? Who's going to sit on the throne of David? Which is really a question. The question of who is the king? Who will the king mm-hmm. be? Is really a question about what will life be like for the people of the kingdom, right? Um, mm-hmm, we think mm-hmm. about going back to the story in Exodus, um, everything changes for Israel when a new king takes the throne and decides to enslave them. So this is a mm-hmm. really huge question. It's like, who is going to sit on the throne and what is that going to mean for us? And I think that's right. something we can like grasp a little bit in our political context, but mm-hmm. the weight of a king is so much heavier and the way they're, 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 uh, politics and government was set up the person on the throne had an influence as like far beyond what our president would have right 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 so that's a huge question another thing that just jumps out to me initially you mentioned stories of abuse i mean this is a hard book to read right. one of the things that i think is worth doing is trying to read it out loud mm. because it helps you hear like how and not not just skim over the horror that is mm-hmm. unfolding in this story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we know about trauma is that trauma, particularly the shame that can come up through trauma, tries to kind of make us invisible and mm-hmm. um, makes you feel like voiceless, like you have no agency at all. And I think that it's so striking to look at how God has these stories be told, um, hmm. even stories of abuse, because the church mm-hmm. hesitates often to tell mm. stories of abuse. Um, you think oh, about yeah. several things in the news right now um, mm-hmm. with uh, Robbie Zacharias, um, mm, yeah. seeing some stuff about Dave Ramsey yeah. um, and his, yeah. his workplace. Right. And, you know, yeah, the Southern Baptist Convention. I absolutely. mean, like, and not just, I mean, I mean, like the long history of right, the, right. the Catholic Church 
of uh, you know covering things like that up and, and what in the, the a history lot of, of the history of the church in America, not all the church, but much of the church that mm-hmm. tried to act like slavery was like good and like a pretty right. nice arrangement, you know? Right. It's like, let right, me talk right. about what like, really what? happened. God, right. oh, yeah. God tells the stories. And so I think mm. there's a lot of um, hope and comfort for us as people who um, are wrestling with what it means to live in a, a broken world and have mm. experienced abuse or loved people who've experienced abuse. Um, just to know that God holds space for their stories and that it's important to him mm. that their stories are told. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a really beautiful thing. Um, yeah. One other well, thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll say something after you're yeah, done. Yeah. So one other big thing that kind of jumps out to me, and we'll dive into this a little bit more, um, I think, when we talk about Amnon and Tamar. Mm-hmm. But there's several other, there's several places throughout the book where I think God kind of puts on display by telling the, the ugly stories. He, he mm. puts on display how evil it is when women's bodies become the site of male power struggles. Right. Mm. So listen, we're, 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 we ain't ready for that, Miriam. We're not ready for that conversation. Okay. <laughs> right. I I'm mean, just kidding. We're, about, we're, we're going to have that about, conversation. <laughs> you think about what unfolds where Absalom gets advice to, Mm-hmm. go and just rape his father's mm-hmm. concubines in a tent in front of Israel. Yep. That's not about love. Yep. That's about power. That's, ooh. And, but, but here's, and, and, oh, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just, I, I'm just saying, man, it like, you, ha- it's, it's, you, you see, I think that this story that unfolds of like what happens when women's bodies are the site of male power struggles is a story mm-hmm. that has unfolded through the history of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to, yeah. you know, the story of Dinah in Genesis. Mm. And it That's just right. continues right. to unfold around the world when we, mm-hmm. you know, hear stories about war and rape in a war context. What's that about? Mm-hmm. That's, that's power struggles that's happening. That's, oh, that's yeah. conquest. And, and you're so right as far as like women's bodies being the object and the kind of centerpiece of that in so many ways because I would argue and, you know, I didn't realize this till kind of like I got I got older and started like reading on like the the kind of um, inside of how lust works. Mm-hmm. But I would argue much of lust is about power. Mm-hmm. So 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 for example, um, when when pastors are counseling men when it comes to looking at pornography, mm-hmm. right? Often. Um, Sometimes we approach counseling people who struggle with that the wrong way. We think, oh, this is just you like looking at, you know, uh, naked women or or videos or whatever. But it's actually pornography is actually about control. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's about control because you get to view and and women, women can partake, you know, they partake in this as well. Um, But it does seem to be overwhelmingly that men are the ones who who struggle with this. But um uh, you know, you get to control the environment. You get to press play. You get to press pause. You don't have to be vulnerable, but the 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 person that you are watching does. Mm, and yeah. and it's all uh, I, I'm telling you. The more I um, just the more 
I grow and, and uh, think about these things. I even think the consumption of pornography is exactly what you're saying. It is, mm-hmm. it's about power. It's about control. Right. And, um, and I, I wanted to ask you if we could do two things. Sure. Um, if we could just kind of focus on two stories mm-hmm. in this book, if that's okay. Yeah. And they will both be centered around um, abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and what I would like for us to do, if possible, is uh, if we could focus on Second Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba, and then we could do um, Amnon and Tamar. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, for sure. That sounds good. Okay, because I know you have a lot of really good content. <laughs> yeah. On uh, on both of those, and I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts, and I kind of just want to bounce off of them. And um, but it, I want to go ahead and start us off on David and Bathsheba, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you know, Miriam, you and uh, you and Rachel. Uh, Welcher are the ones who really kind of opened my mind to this. So I want to give credit where credit's due, but I want to just kind of make it clear for anybody who's listening that what David, and I I really want to make this clear because I think it's actually important for how Christian men um, interact with women. And I just think this is revolutionary, but David rapes Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I was talking, I was talking with, uh, with a pastor yesterday um, black pastor. And, uh, when I said this to him, I, I wasn't expecting him to agree because hmm. they were talking about it, but he actually did. Hmm. And he said, yeah, that's, I feel like that's common knowledge. I was like, I was like, brother, that is not, that Mm-mm. is not what many people read when they read this text. And I, and, and the reason I think it's, it's so important to, to literally to like believe this is because and and you kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but but like Miriam, like the ways in which uh, men in America, at the very least, or really just around the world, think that abuse is only extreme forms, mm-hmm. um, is so destructive and gives way to so much abuse. And um, while the word is not used in this passage, I, I want to read. I just want to read part of it, if that's okay. But while the word is not used. Um, I think what God is showing us is that this is what is happening. Mm-hmm. And so I want to read this passage real quick and then yeah, you and I absolutely. can just kind of break it down. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. So this is Second uh, Samuel 11. It says in the spring, and by the way, just to give context, you know, David's king now, he's the king of Israel um, and he's known as a warrior king. And I think it's very, very important for the details that he is known as someone who kills. Okay. This doesn't mean that he's a villain at this point. I mean, you kind of see he becomes one to some degree, but but he is known as a warrior. All right. So it says in the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah? So he already kind of knows who she is. That kind of tells you, that gives you some clues. David sent messengers to get her. Think about that for a moment. I I want to pause. To get her as if she's something to be gotten. Now, some translations say he took her. And I I actually like that language better. Because I think it gives us uh, better, better clues. As to what's happening. It says, when she came to him, he slept with her. 
Now she had been purifying herself for uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and Dave and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Hmm. Um, now I, I don't have time to go into the entire text, but Miriam, I would love to kind of get your initial thoughts and I'll kind of bounce off of you if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, I think it, it's so important to read these stories and to really take them in. Cause I, you know, it's like, I almost start crying mm-hmm. listening to that because it's just, mm. it's so evil that you have God's man, you know, mm-hmm. um, that does this mm-hmm. and it, fits in with the language that we have seen Samuel warned the people. He said, if you put a king on the throne, a king is going to take. He's going to take, take, mm. take. Take your daughters, take wow. your sons, yeah. take your lands. Mm-hmm. And we see that mm-hmm. here with David. There's an interesting um, a couple things that I think it's important to note if this, if this kind of studying this mm-hmm. passage is new to you. One, sometimes there's an idea that um, we, we want to kind of blame Bathsheba and say, well, she did something, mm-hmm. you know, to deserve this kind of the, what was she wearing question? Mm-hmm. Well, first of wow, all, yeah. the idea that she, that she was visible baking is because the king lives in a palace and place power. So he, he mm. has this vantage point where he can look down on the kingdom. This isn't like, she's just like, out wow. of guard. like this is like, someone who's taking advantage of their position of power to down on people mm. who don't have the same type of living situation as he does. Um, secondly, right. note that she's described by the text as a very beautiful woman. And that's important to note because we see what happens to her. And then two more times in this book, we're going to encounter um, women who are described that same way. And it's a clue like, mm-hmm. Oh, here we go again. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you have to understand the power dynamics of this ancient Eastern culture to recognize mm-hmm. that Bathsheba had absolutely no legal or social um, ability to say no to the king. And so right. there's no such thing as consent when it is not possible to say no without being armed, right? Mm. So I, or the or the fear yeah, of that, with, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so right, right. So we have this unfold, and I, I just think um, I think that God gives us so much insight into how He sees this story in the story that He sends Nathan to tell David in chapter twelve. Because what he says is Mm. he says, this is a story about a rich man and a poor man. And Mm. it's a story about someone who had plenty taking someone from someone else and taking something innocent. Right. The, Mm. and like you see in this story that, um, one of the things I remember hearing someone say once that I've thought about a lot since they talked about how we ought to fight lust. Um, we had to fight like desire gone awry in our heart with thankfulness. Mm-hmm. They said like the opposite of lust mm-hmm. is thankfulness. Okay. And I thought that was yeah, really yeah. interesting. Gratitude. Yeah. And I think it's really true because what we see here is like Nathan paints this as a story about 
not being thankful, not trusting that like God is good to you. And if you don't Mm. think God is being good Mm. to you and you don't think what you have is enough, then you go out and you exploit and you take. That's right. And Mm. I think that God says like God sends Nathan to David to make it clear that the man who did this deserves to die. Mm. And so the idea that, and that God has been yeah, good to him, <laughs> you know, like if anybody, he God's says, been I good to it's been David. Israel. And... I rescued you from Saul. I That's gave right. you all of these things. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. So what we see here is when we take selfishly and wrongly, when we don't trust that what God has given us has already given us is mm-hmm. good and that there is plenty more generosity mm-hmm available if we need more god will give us more and we know that david knew that because he said the lord is my shepherd i have what i need right Mm -hmm. so that's the place that like protects the people around us and makes them safe is when i trust in like Mm -hmm. the generosity of god to me but when i start to feel like maybe god hasn't been good god hasn't been generous God, I can't count on God to come through. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're, that's right. You're thinking. Yeah, I think I think so much of what sin is, is to think God is holding mm-hmm. out on you. Right. That's what you because I think what you're describing is what you see in the garden. Right. Is is God has blessed Adam and Eve with uh, a utopia. Yeah. Um, and and Satan comes and convinces them. And he says, well, you have everything but mm-hmm. this. Right. And 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 God's actually holding out on you. And that's so much of what greed is. That's so much of what sin is. We say, God, you are holding out on me. I want right. full access. I want the you know, I want the premium mm-hmm. subscription. And um, here's something I noticed when I read the Nathan parable. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it because this actually disturbed me. And I, and I think um, you you know what's you know what's really sad about this is that um even even Nathan I think it has a blindness to what's really yeah. going on yeah. uh in this passage because if you think about it the parable he the the parable he gives it's just about um about Uriah. it's just about Uriah and and David and it and it and it still treats Bathsheba as if she's something mm-hmm. to be owned um, and so it's like, yeah, Nathan gets it right on one level, but still misses mm-hmm. it. And, and he still misses like, like he, he's connecting with David on a male level of like, David, you really met, you really did your mm-hmm. eye wrong, but still it's like, wait a minute, who's, who's going to advocate mm-hmm. for Bathsheba? Who's going, you know? And so, and obviously I think God does by showing us the story. Um, but it's just so I don't right. Know. No, I think, I think that, you're that absolutely really right. And I had the same thought when I read that. And I think you ask, you know, where, what does God see there? What is God up to? Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that comes to my mind is um, the genealogy of Christ, right? That mm. um, it says in, uh, in Matthew 1, you know, tracing this. Um, David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. And he makes it clear that wrong was done to her because she wasn't David's wife. Mm -hmm. But God Mm -hmm. puts her 
in the line of Christ. And I think that mm. we see the value that God puts on her. And I think we see his like redemptive work in taking evil um, and bringing hope out of it. Um, hope of someone mm. far better than David who could sit on the throne. And one of the things I want to highlight in this story is as a kid, I grew up, you know, hearing, um, as I'm sure anybody who grew up in church did, that this description of David as a man after God's own heart. And I didn't know as a kid how to nuance what people meant by that. And I remember reading these stories and being Mm -hmm. so confused. Like, how could somebody be like a man after God's own heart? And do something like this, right? Right. And John, the, right. the theologian John Woodhouse, like talks about this, and he he goes in. You can read him if you want more detail, but he basically says that he thinks mm-hmm. that this has this phrase of a man after God's own heart has like a lot more to do with God's heart towards David than David's heart towards God, mm. which makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, but right. I also think that we have to see David. Um, in the context of Christ and that Jesus, God says about Jesus that he is the exact representation of God. And so mm. you don't right. you look at David and you may see moments where he looks like Christ, where he looks like God. You may see a few moments in the same way that I hope when you look at my life or you look at your life, Cody, people will say, hey, I think I see someone who's like got a heart that's a little bit like God's. But only, mm. only when you look at Jesus do you see a heart that looks exactly like God. And so when we that's wrestle right. and, with some of these passages, yeah. we have to go to the Gospels and say, okay, that's the clearest picture that we have of the heart of God. And we use that to move mm. backwards through the Old Testament. Yeah. And, and one of the, here's something I see in this text too. I always like to point some of these things out to kind of dispel mm-hmm. myths. But um, what, one thing you see is a response in, in chapter 12 is you see the idea of a, of a form of corporate sin that affects somebody else who had, who had nothing to do yeah. with the sin. Right. So so the Bathsheba's son, their son they had together when when I mean, he, he raped her, got her pregnant and they have a son. You know, it says uh, the Lord struck the mm-hmm. baby. Uh, that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became deathly ill and, and eventually the baby dies. And, and the, you know, the hyper individualist is mm-hmm. like, what, you know, and, and to be honest, I don't know how to explain, yeah. you know, the ins and outs of, of, of God's justice when it comes to that. But I, I think it's, it's very important. It's so important, especially when it comes to abuse and when it comes to all kinds of manipulation, your sin other people are going to pay yeah. for your sin. Um, they just are. And, and, but, but how beautiful is it that, that, uh, you know, thousand years later, Jesus, that, that mm-hmm. becomes the gospel. That other people are going to pay for your that sin. Some, yep. Yeah. Someone's going to pay for Amen. your sin. So I think it's so important to realize some of the, the corporate right. nature of sin in order to understand how, uh, how these things affect other people. We live in a country where people say, well, if I didn't do it, I have nothing to do with it. Or I bear no responsibility. The Bible is just like, that's just not true. It's, 
it's more complex mm-hmm. than that. And, and um, I think, I, I just think there's so much responsibility Christians and, and different people need to take when it comes to the ways in which people are, are oppressed, even if they did not directly Absolutely. contribute uh, to, yeah, to and there's uh, we're actually going to see uh, some of that yeah. if I can maybe move us on to the next story. Um, so yeah, yeah, come on. To set up the cast of characters here in chapter thirteen, it says some time has passed, so we're we're inside this context still, where we pretty recently had this mm-hmm. rape um, happen of Bathsheba, and we're introduced to two of David's mm-hmm. sons and one of his daughters. And one of the sons is Absalom, who he's mm-hmm. the more, it seems like, charismatic, you know, handsome, kind of one of the sons. And then we have Amnon. Yeah, Mr. Congeniality. Heir, um, by, by birth order, I right. think. And then in between, we have right. Tamar. And notice how it describes her. Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. So if you've just read the story mm-hmm. of Bathsheba, the question that should be in your head is, Will this beautiful woman, will this daughter be safe while David's on the throne? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are in this situation where it says that Amnon desires his sister, right? And I think that that it's mm-hmm. this is like desires that have gone awry. And mm. I think that we see here how he takes a desire that has gone awry and he labels it as love and tries to justify mm. it. And if you watch how that unfolds, he says in verse four, Amnon, Amnon's friend, Jonadab, asks him, why are you the king's son so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? And he says, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister, who's his half sister mm. as well. Right. And so he he tries to yeah, call yeah. something evil something good. And in what his friend, mm. what Jonadab should have done is he should have said that when your desires go awry, it is sin, not love. Right? And he should have called that mm-hmm. out, especially yeah. in the realm of sexuality. Like I, we need people who will say mm-hmm. to us, like, your desires are not who you are. Like your desires can mm. be warped by sin. It can be warped by the sin that's, that's done right. to you. But our desires are not who we that's are. Right. Like they can be prayed over and made holy and confessed. And mm-hmm. we need friends who will talk to us straight when our desires are not righteous. Yeah. Instead of what Jonadab says is like, why don't you just give in to it? He says, why don't you use your power yep. as the king's son to mm-hmm. bring your sister in so you can watch her? So Jonadab mm-hmm. doesn't say rape her. He says, bring her in and just kind of leer at her. Yep. Okay. And the mm-hmm. Bible shows us this so many times that sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. Right. And I, That's right. I think that there is a guilt that Jonadab bears for not having been a better friend in this moment, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and and constructing Absolutely. this plot to 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 abuse because I, I would even go so far as to say, I think these these guys had an intention yeah. of, of doing that to her. 
Um, and uh, but but they're framing it in language that right. you know sounds right. good, right? And so and we do this all the time. It's like, well, right. she she wanted it, you know, or or like right. you said, look what she was wearing, or or I mean, we, we just make up so many excuses of why something uh, it was what that it clearly was not consensual. And we try to make it seem like it was. And um, and you know what's interesting about this too, and I think sometimes people forget this. Amnon, let's not let's not forget. Amnon was alive when David mm-hmm. did that to Bathsheba. He was not. This right. was not before he was born. And so the reason is because the, the, you, what you see in David's life, and this is really a um, yeah. warning to all of us. You see the generational sin yeah, passed down. Absolutely. And, and and not just that, but you see, David clearly must have created an environment to where his son thinks it's yeah, okay to take absolutely. his sister. Now, now this is a way in which, and I want I want to parallel it to the modern day, but this is a way in which David did not directly do this to Tamar, but he contributed to the environment that ended up abusing Tamar. And I think a lot of men have to own up to the ways in which mm. we've done that to women in our culture. Our, and right. like, you know, you know, it's like, I may, I may not have sexually abused some, a woman, but there, but to my shame, there've been times where I've heard a, a very sexist or demeaning joke about a woman in the mm-hmm. past. And I didn't say anything, you know, or, or, or I, uh, perpetuated stereotypes about women or right. whatever that caused this environment to, to breathe to where women are seen as less than they yeah. are seen as less valuable and therefore right. they should be taken advantage of. And so uh, I just think corporate and generational sin is just Absolutely. all over this text. And it's something like American Christians right. do not believe in, like we like legitimately don't believe in corporate sin and we do mm. not believe in generational sin. And I think that explains a much mm-hmm. of the Me Too movement. I think it explains much Absolutely. of racism in America. And, and, and no, so I mean, many different things. So but I'm good. sorry, go and ahead. I think, I, I think one of the things that's sad to me too, reading this story, is that you've got this very domestic setting where you have like Tamar's making cakes mm-hmm. and Amnon's saying he's sick and they're at their house. And then this mm-hmm. setting that should have been safe becomes dangerous. And that's how abuse works. Mm-hmm. Like I think the stat mm. um, I saw is like ninety three percent of people who are sexually abused are abused by someone in their circle of trust, right? So all the way back to mm. Cain and Abel, yeah, yeah. sin makes families not safe anymore. And um, and so we mm. see what happens is Amnon sends everyone out. He tells Tamar, "Bring the meal to the bedroom." So she comes in there, and when she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her. It's this violent word, and said, "Come sleep with me, my sister." And she responds and her mm-hmm. plea to him, which is, it's kind of striking that God includes these words. Because I think they're meant to be a plea to us as well. Don't, my brother, she cried. Mm-hmm. Don't disgrace me. Don't shame me. For such a thing should never be done in Israel, which is where God's people live. Don't commit this outrage. Mm. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? Where could I carry my shame, right? And this is the plea that we need to hear when our desires go awry. This is what Jonadab should have said to him. Don't, brother. Because for all of us, the Mm -hmm. primary mode 
that we are supposed to relate to other people as is family. You will have one husband, maybe, one wife, maybe. Everybody else is a brother or a sister. And that should shape the interaction. Mm-hmm. And she at, mm-hmm. it's so sad, though, because look at the response. It says, but he refused to listen to her. So there's that, that mm-hmm. lack of voice, that lack of agency, like silencing. And because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. He uses his strength to take. Mm. And then we see what really is going on. when Am- So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that the hatred he hated her with was greater than mm-hmm. the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried, sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. So we hear that again, not valuing her voice. Instead, he called to the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. And now mm. he's not calling her Tamar. He's not calling her sister. He's calling her this. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think that yes, he yeah. says this And that's, woman, that's what sin does. The woman is not there in the, in the original mm-hmm. text. Like sin, the, right, the right, sin right. dehumanizes image bearers. It says, I'm not going to see you as someone mm-hmm. who bears the image of God. And I just think like if there's one thing right. we can do that just practically to help us engage more in more healthy ways with other people, whether it's in the, the realm of sexuality, whether it's mm-hmm. in the realm of conflict, um, whether it's, you know, any of these things where we encounter challenges in our relationships with others, we have to be people who remind ourselves they are made in the image of God. They bear the image of God. Mm-hmm. They're not of this, like, to dehumanize people, to speak about people in language as though they are not human, that is never of the Lord. That's right. That's right. And and it's it, here's what I think is interesting about this passage. Mm-hmm. If you kind of go to the end of the story, not the end, mm-hmm. of, the end of the chapter, but end of kind of the uh, story. Uh, the very last verse, um, in uh, verse 20, it says, you know, as kind of all of this unfolds and it already happens, it says her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. <laughs> and I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, and, and but it's so sad because um, this is what <laughs> this is what guys mm-hmm. say to girls all the time when when they found out a girl, uh, you know, uh, has been uh abused sexually abused i mean like and and i i don't want to speak i want to i want to tread carefully but like this is what ravi zacharias mm-hmm. said to his victims can you imagine don't take i mean like heart. it's what it's other ways there to take it it's so it's so wild and i know absalom is you know he eventually you know takes vengeance in his hand in it into his hand and i'll speak on that in a moment but here's what i think is really interesting about this passage too, is it seems to be that the way Absalom framed this question, has your brother Amnon been with you? It seems to be, he kind of noticed mm-hmm. that is how Amnon is. I mean, think about it. You see a woman crying. Why is right. it the first thing that right. comes to your mind? You right. know, it's like he knows his brother. And and he knows, mm-hmm. he knows this is probably what happened. Um, and 
But what, what I think is super, this is, this is, I'm actually writing an article on this that I'm going to try to pitch. Do it. Um, soon to, to a website, but, uh, yeah, I think the are, question you, are you writing the article right that we now? have to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I, yeah, yeah, I'm writing this right now. This is a really good stuff, Miriam. <laughs> I'll, 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 <laughs> no, I'll cite you as a source. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, no um, I already wrote it. I just got to write the intro. But, um, you know, as the as the story goes on, what you see here is Absalom um, mm. takes vengeance into his own hands. The reason he does that, and let me let me find exactly where this is at in the text because this made me so angry. I was just like, Ugh! okay, so you go to uh-huh. verse twenty-three, okay. Actually, let's go to verse twenty-one. It says, "When King David heard about let all these stop, things, let me stop you right there." He was furious. I think it's like, worth okay. noting that David knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on to go punish his son for this, right? Mm. And so he's mad about yep. it, but he. There yep. are no tears and no action. And there is a crazy contrast in my mind yep. between how he acts when Absalom gets killed. Remember how he can't stop crying? Mm-hmm. And there are no tears for Tamar. Mm-hmm. And that is nothing like Jesus. Jesus weeps. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there are no tears from Amnon, too. If you, you know, I mean, it's just like. They, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, obviously Absalom is the is the favored person, but um, I think you know David doesn't weep for Tamar because he do, he clearly does not value her in the same way, and he does not uh, shed tears for uh, Amnon because that mm-hmm. means he would have to weep over Bathsheba. And so, but but here's what kind of the text that says: When David heard about all these things, he was furious, and Absalom didn't say uh, anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced. His sister Tamar, and t- two of the word, like actually three words that come next, just shock you. It says two years mm. later. Two years later. How many? How many women can relate to that? And even more. Two years later, that mm-hmm. means David didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And what you brought up, Miriam, is so important because he doesn't have a leg to stand on at all. And how many men cover up other men's abuse because they know if they uh, reveal the abuse of so-and-so, mm-hmm. they have to look in their oh, own man. closet. We, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's why so many of these leaders, you see them on, whether it's in the mm-hmm. SBC or the Catholic Church, you see them on Twitter, and they're defending abusers. I'm telling you right now, I think much of that is because mm-hmm. they have done things like that themselves. Wow. Yeah. You know, and I think you know? it's worth noticing too, that God creates space to tell us about Tamar's tears. She grieves, she puts mm. ashes on her head. She, and, and we often see this with abuse. There's often an embodied nature to grief after abuse. And we see that in Tamar. And I think that God is saying mm-hmm. by including this that it is always right to grieve sin. Tears are one of the most important mm. ways that we can tell <coughs> the truth about evil. Mm-hmm. And when you see mm-hmm. this morning, I, um, I went on a chaplain call this morning and I 
for those of you who don't know, I volunteer as a chaplain for the police department here in Tulsa. And so um, occasionally they'll call chaplains out if there's like an unexpected death and we'll make death notifications or we'll just support mm-hmm. the family. And I went to a situation this morning where a guy, um, he's probably early twenties, lived at home with his mom and um, he came home or woke up this morning. I think it was and found his mom who was in her forties dead. And um, he mm. was just mm. grieving so hard. And he, at mm-hmm. one point, he said, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing this. And I said, man, like, no, like, it's right to cry. And I think we mm-hmm. need to remember that God, like, God wants us to weep when there is evil. Like, cry about death because mm-hmm. death is an enemy <clears throat> and know that mm-hmm. every tear will be one day wiped away but for now if we don't weep over abuse if we don't weep when women are raped mm-hmm. when women are treated as it's mm-hmm. when women are told that the abuse they have suffered in their family doesn't even matter if we don't cry over that, mm-hmm. then we are telling a lie about what God is like. Because we learn, Diane Langberg says, we That's learn right. about the unseen God from what is seen, from the people that we see around us. Mm-hmm. And so David's actions, Amnon's right. actions, Absalom's actions tell a lie about God. They act like God doesn't care about the dignity and the bodies of his daughter. And that is not true. That's right. Especially, right, especially King, David is, when you are the king of Israel, that means, it's not just you rule Israel. I mean, you are God's representative to the people. So, yeah, I totally agree. Like, David is saying, this is what God's like. God doesn't care. You know, but but here's I want I want to give one more lingering uh, kind of question, and then I want to I would love for you to end uh, mm-hmm. us with what's just kind of one more wonderful thing you see in this book. But um, I think a question we need mm-hmm. to ask about Absalom's story in this is: Does vengeance mm-hmm. need empathy? And 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 the reason I say that is because. Um, in America, most people uh, love the vengeance story when it's not in mm. real life, right? We, we, you know, we we love the idea of taking justice mm-hmm. into our own hands because that's kind of the human urge. But when the oppressed do it, mm. um, we think it's wrong. And and I'm not saying, and I I think vengeance. The Bible clearly says vengeance is the Lord's. But, but one of the reasons I bring this up is because one thing you see with Absalom, Absalom, Absalom is not getting justice. Tamar is not getting justice. So what does Absalom do? He takes vengeance into mm-hmm. his own hands. He kills his brother Amnon. And, and this eventually starts this civil mm-hmm. war between Absalom and his dad, David. Okay. And it ends with the death of Absalom. And the reason I think this story is so important when it comes to uh, empathizing with those 
who desire vengeance, even though we don't justify it, is because if you don't want people to take vengeance into their own hands, mm. do justice. Do justice. All of like, if you if you think about, I mean, like this is like for the next chapter or two. I mean, like it goes into great detail just the horrifying events that unfold when it comes to this civil war that's happening. I mean, and uh, you know, there's there's an insurrection that happens um, in this story, and you just see all these different just hor- horrifying things. Mm-hmm. But this could have been avoided if David would have right. just given justice to, I mean, to his daughter. And and one of the and one of the things that frustrates me is when people, you know, when the when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening this summer. And uh, which, you know, studies showed 93 percent. I mean, the overwhelming majority of them were peaceful. But you had some of them where they're burning down buildings and, and, and are being violent and things like that. And I don't condone those things. But you are crazy if you cannot empathize with people who want to burn something down because justice has not mm. been given to a particular person yeah. who has been wrongly killed. Mm. And I think that's why vengeance needs empathy because we need to empathize. Okay. Why are people mm. taking matters into their own hands? Why does Absalom do that? You know what? Why do different characters in scripture uh, do that? And it's because right. justice isn't being done. And this is just kind of a, uh, you know, a lesson to all those who, for some reason, cannot empathize <laughs> with uh, rioting and looting and things like that. If you want those things to never happen again, mm. do so justice. True. So true. Do justice. Mm. Justice avoids vengeance. Um, and and so it, it's just, uh, I mean, you see this, I think, you see this with Nat Turner. You know, if, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar you know, Nat Turner was a slave mm. uh, who led a revolt against the slave masters and against the town and basically killed like dozens of white people. And though the Lord uh, mm-hmm. never condones that, that's not what the Lord wants. That's not his heart. Um, but if you read, if you if you read how slaves were treated, how how uh, I mean, like have the you, old have you one? Seen birth of the nation. Are you talking about the old one? not the old one like there's no there's a new one it's about nat turner yeah i mean it's i don't recommend Uh it to everybody just because it is kind of a hard watch but uh, one of the things the movie does really well is uh, it it explains why Mm. it it helps you empathize with why these slaves wanted to violently rise up against their oppressors i mean there's there's Mm. literally a scene because you know slaves could get married and there's a scene where uh, the slave master, one of his friends comes over and one of his ways of entertaining his friends is by taking another Ooh. slave's wife and having, <laughs> it is even hard to even just talk about, but having uh, his friend sleep with the slave's wife and, and the look on her face as she walks back into her room with her husband. It yeah. is just... It's gut wrenching. And, and you're like, and then, you know, my flesh cries, you know, like, like not my godliness, but like my flesh cries out and it's like, man, burn that place down, (laughs) you know, like burn it to the ground. Uh, That's what part of me says. 
And uh, but we know that, you know, uh, vengeance is only of the Lord. But it's like when you see the way the oppressed are treated. Yeah. Um, we really need to empathize because what, what we saw, this is what blow, blow, blew my mind. What we saw at the Capitol on January 6th was a revolt where actually no mm-hmm. injustice, no injustice had actually occurred. That's what that's what blew my mind. I was like, these white Trump supporters um, stormed the Capitol because mm-hmm. they're they think they're being done wrong. But when Black Lives Matter protesters, some actually a lot of them were not even protesters. They were not even part of the movement. But when people burned down a building or, or set a target on fire because of hundreds mm-hmm. of years of injustice mm-hmm. against black people. There's no empathy for that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, sorry, I didn't mean to go on a rant here, but it's like uh, vengeance, yeah. true, you know, vengeance needs empathy. Um, and not justification, but empathy. Because we have to be able to ask ourselves, why are these people responding in these ways? I mean, you know how it is, Marion, you work with kids and I've worked with you with kids and, you know, there are kids mm-hmm. in some of our programs before who were violent. And um, and you have to ask yourself, if you're a good teacher, you know, I was a good head teacher one time. You know, if you're a good teacher, you don't just um, punish the student. You right. ask, OK, why are they why are they laughing? Somebody starts screaming. You say, why do they? Is it because like something has happened to them? <laughs> are we not listening? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so. um that's what I would just encourage, you know, like, like, like right. vengeance does not need justification, but it most certainly needs empathy because we have to empathize. Why, why are people in a world of a, why are people uh, revolting in these ways? That's because they are not being treated right. And the powers that be, which mm. in our case are, you know, maybe certain politicians, the criminal justice system, um, mm. churches, they yeah. are not doing justice. And back then, you know, in, in this story, it's David. He is the power that be. Um, and, he, and because he's not doing justice, Absalom takes vengeance yeah, into his yeah. own hand. But it all could have been avoided. And I think. If we do yeah, justice. Yeah, no, I was just going to say. By so, way so Miriam, what is. Oh, up, go ahead. I, you know, one, one thing that's just so beautiful to me about mm-hmm. this story is that if you keep reading in that biblical theology context, right, you're asking this question. Who Second Samuel is asking this question, who is going to sit on the throne of David? And the ultimate answer to that comes to us. Mm-hmm. It's prophesied in Isaiah that one day um, it says, let me flip mm. over to it, <laughs> in Isaiah chapter 9, mm-hmm. uh, we're told that God mm-hmm. is going to send a child, a son, right? Not like Amnon, not like Absalom, mm. but a son is going to be given mm-hmm. and the government will be on his right. shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, not like Jonah Dab, given bad advice. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity never, will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with mm-hmm. justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And when Mary is told about Jesus, she has mm-hmm. told 
that he is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. And we see Mm -hmm. in David and Amnon, we see kings, we see men who take other people's body. But Jesus does not take Mm -hmm. other people's bodies. He gives his own. And communion is an opportunity every time we take communion to remember. And I think it's supposed to be particularly precious to those who have experienced having their own body taken. Mm -hmm. That when you take communion, you Mm. get to remember that you belong to a God who does not take other people's bodies, but lets his own body be broken for you. He says, I think it's in John six, here is my body, my flesh given for the life of the world. And I think that, that survivors are, those have experienced abuse, um, physical abuse, sexual abuse in particular, get to come to the communion table and experience in profound ways the love of God. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. You know what I love about this one, the, the Isaiah 9 passage, is if you read uh, verse 3 and 4, they're supposed to be paired together. And it says, you know, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. It says the people have rejoiced before you, mm-hmm. and they, as they rejoice at right. harvest time, which, you know, harvest is when you get to get the food. And it says, as they rejoice when dividing spoils for, he says, this is why they rejoice. It mm-hmm. says they rejoice as if they're receiving plenty of food because mm. you have shattered their oppressive yoke. And, and that is something to pray for in our time. Um, in a time of great economic and uh, just great economic inequity and disparity mm-hmm. and, and gender disparity, the ways that women are treated compared to men, the ways that black people are, and, and, and Latino people and um, minorities are treated compared to white people or the way that older people are treated compared to those who are young and, and, and vulnerable. Um, this is something to pray for that, uh, that God would shatter the oppressive mm. yoke um, continually. Good. And, um, second Samuel is very much, uh, addressing those things. And though we don't see all the resolution we'd like to see, um, in second Samuel, like Miriam mm. pointed out beautifully, like there's one who's coming and he'll, he'll shatter the yoke. And, and as people who are believers mm-hmm. in Jesus, that means we need to be yoke shatterers. You know, we need to be people who break the bonds of oppression. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that we need to return to that kind of ethic, to be like the king mm-hmm. that Isaiah prophesies over and over and over again. The king that, that David mm-hmm. should have been, the king that Israel needed at that time, uh, and the king that we need. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now That's we right. have him. We actually don't have to wait for the king. Uh, we have him. We have his words and his right. commands are clear. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it's like, man, if only David mm. and Amnon uh, loved their neighbors, mm. uh, yeah. Israel might have looked. Uh, well, it's a bit like different. it's like a, that song. A good but, conclusion. But thank to you this so much. If you um, 
go listen to that Porter's Gate song that says, we will make no peace with oppression. That's, mm. you know, that, that is, yeah. oh, we, that's such if, a good as people of God, that's we have to make no peace with oppression. And yet we have to create spaces for those who have experienced that's oppression right. to come and to grieve and to honor their stories and to treat them with dignity and right. to look with hope to how Christ is writing a new story with um, as the good king. Mm. So, wow, this, this has probably been super long, mm. but it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And before we go, I want to tell you something about something really cool, Miriam, and I kind of wanted to encourage anybody who's listening to do this as well. Um, I don't know if you know, but there, there's a museum that they just opened up here in Nashville called the National Museum no, of African American Music. Did they build that? It's you move there. Incredible. <laughs> ba- that basically, sounds like that sounds. Like they built amazing. it just for me. Nobody else can go in there. Just me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's incredible. Like I, I don't. I didn't take pictures because. I thought to myself, <laughs> this is so amazing. My phone cannot capture like oh, how awesome. cool this is. And um, it, it's, if you ever come to Nashville or, and if you live, you know, if anyone lives in Nashville, if you really want kind of like a, um, an experiential kind of, you know, uh, mm. element of kind of what we've been talking about today's episode, go to that museum. Um, what you'll see there is so much of mm. African-American music is, is rooted in mm-hmm. uh, resistance against oppression, um, the beginnings of gospel music, jazz, and, and all these different genres. And it, it's just so, the, 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 the reason I say this is not just a plug for the museum, but because it, it really is a sobering, mm. part of the exhibit really is a sobering reminder um, of the mm. resilience yeah. of, and, and of can I survivors. add to that too? Um, that you know, too, that, the resilience yeah, of the Tamars of Bathsheba's. Yeah, yeah. Um, grief is part of resistance because, like, tears and grief say we refuse to accept this as normal. That's right. Right? Like, we mark this as, like, unacceptable. This is not okay. That's right. This is not of the Lord. That's, that's really good. Oh, I'd love to see that. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Everybody yeah, has a little absolutely. homework to do. Yeah. Well, thank and you so much, that. Miriam. That's right. Go to the go and to the National we'll be Museum for, of African American Music. Next, it's incredible. Right? All right. Yep. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to be in a season of basically bashing <laughs> like a bunch of people in the Bible because there is this like take it doesn't really monarchy. get much better uh, for a long time in the story. That's right. That's right. It will, it will get better. Yep. Basically, well, we when Jesus Psalms comes, at some point, so that could be fun. <laughs> you know, so. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I think it, we'll probably do multiple. That's, episodes that's way of too Psalms. tough to be like, yeah, let's do one psalm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do one. Yeah, let's do one episode uh, for 150 yeah, we, songs. We, like, uh, we could not do that. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much, Mary. We might like end up being in the Psalms for like a year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That would be hilarious. He's in one a week for like the rest of the year. That'd be crazy. (laughs) 
Yeah, everybody's like, please go. Oh, to that's the awesome. It was so good to talk to you, Cody. You know, <laughs> but okay, you too. Bye. Yeah, yeah, uh, 